turning to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. Third and final Lord's Day morning on the great prophet Elijah. We looked at Elijah at the brook. We looked at him and the birds. We looked at him at the barrel and Sarafath. And now we're looking at him with the boy. Tragic ending, tragic story, but not a tragic ending. And verse 17, and just gather up what information you have in last days, Sundays, and bring it to bear here on, on these verses. And it came to pass, after these things, that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And the sickness was so so that there was no breath left in him. F.B. Marr said that he feels from reading that that it was a sudden death. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call, now notice this wee phrase, my sin. My sin. I wonder what she was thinking about. I wonder what she thinking about her sin of idolatry where for years she was an idolater. Or was she thinking of some sin in connection with the child? My sin to remembrance. Now watch this word. And slay my son. That word's used again too. And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. Don't miss these wee words. And he cried unto the Lord and said, now watch how many times the Lord is mentioned in these verses, one already in verse 20. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow? He's charging God with evil now. Hast, God, hast thou brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourn? By slaying, and there's it again, her son. And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord, by God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come unto him again. And now he's praying for the soul, not the body. 
I pray thee, let this child's soul come unto him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came unto him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See thy son liveth. The scripture doesn't tell us about the joy that must have been here. It must have been tremendous. It must have been a mighty, 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 mighty moment for that mother. And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. And we know the Lord will bless his word as he promised. I'm not sure if any parent here this morning would have dealt any different with this tragic death of an only son. This famine-stricken town and this famine-stricken widow who not long before had lost her husband, now her pride and her joy is taken from her. Her potential protector, provider in the days ahead suddenly taken from her. This is a very sad and shocking tragedy. But this shocking and sad tragedy seemed to touch and arouse the reaction and the emotions of this mother like none of the other trials did. What I mean is this. She seemed to resolve herself and to resign herself to the fact that her boy and herself were going to die because of the famine. Because that's what she said to Elijah when he asked her for me, for bread. She said, I'm gathering a couple of sticks and we're going in for the last meal and both of us is going to die. She was resolved that the child is going to die. But then he didn't die with the famine. And the way that it happened now is that she doesn't resign to the fact or resolve to the fact she rebels against it and quite naturally. I want you to hold that train of thought. She says, I want nothing more now to do with you. Have you come here to bring my pie past sins out into the open and slay my child, thou man of God? And I think there's a sneer there. Let me paraphrase it. You man of God, coming in here, slaying my son, bringing my past sins out into the ocean. I want nothing more to do with you. You see, circumstances have changed. 
And they change very quickly. And as circumstances change, we change. This is a different story now. Different story now. And the answer to this is, the famine and the drought and the natural national disaster came upon thousands. Hundreds were dying and thousands were starving and they were all in the same boat. And the scenario was batten down the hatches and ride out the storm and hope for the best. And like the lepers at the gate of Samaria, if we die, we die. We can do nothing about it. It's completely out of our hands. But this is a different story now. It really doesn't concern her why this famine of three and a half years came. It doesn't concern her whether it was because of Israel's sins or not. And it was of Israel's immorality and idolatry that God brought the famine. And it not only hit their nation, but it hit this nation. Nobody sins unto themselves. But that doesn't really concern her where it come from. It's here, and she's going to have to accept it. And she did accept it. She accepted it because, till a sense it was explainable, she couldn't understand it, but it was explainable. But there's no answer, there's no sense, there's no reasoning. We're finding this young boy dead one day. None at all. There must be nothing as bad as a sudden, unexplainable death, especially of a child. And if we haven't the answers, we, we have to find one. And sometimes they can't be found. You see, let me take this a wee minute. When we hit a famine <clears throat> or a pestilence or tornadoes or tsunamis or volcanoes and earthquakes today, we have to find an answer. No, 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 God's not, God's not in this. Don't be thinking of God. Mr. Attenborough and his ilk, don't entertain the fact that it could be the judgment of God that's on nations and on land, and it is. How could they be, be God? How could they say that it's of God when they don't believe in God that he exists? So they get their microscopes and they get their telescopes and they get their stethoscopes and they sound out and they say it's rainforests. That's the cause of this. Fossil fuels and plastic bags. Stop burning coal and gas and diesel and petrol. We'll have to stop it if we'll not be able to afford it. Stop drinking milk and eating meat and switch the lights out and sit in the dark and wash your clothes in cold water. That's what they're saying. Get a bicycle out. Blue bin, black bin, brown bin, green bin, and now I see a red bin over the road. Do 
There's a very solemn note that God hit me with here this week. How do you think that our British government spent the first 10 to 15 minutes of Prime Minister's question times on Wednesday, time on Wednesday, 12 o'clock? Was it addressing the fuel and food crisis? Was it trying to get thousands of people back to work that was put out by P.O.? Was it sending an army and ammunition and munitions to Ukraine? No. Do you know what the first 10 and 15 minutes of the House of Commons and the House of Commons on Wednesday morning at 12 o'clock was? The hugging and the scraping and the clapping of the back of a male MP who wants to be a woman and because he was raped as a boy. What on earth are our governments coming to? The Prime Minister and the Leader and the Opposition and the Speaker of the House of Commons, all of them clapped him and some of them stood and said, how courageous a man this is. And some of our boys that we send over there sat up with faces like Nicholson said, like November cabbages. And from the start of those proceedings to the end of those proceedings on Wednesday, you knew that there had murdered a thousand children legally in the womb. And if you would have stood up in the House of Commons, the House of Commons and Great Britain, that God made great through the Word of God, and Queen Victoria told them that. If you would have stood up and read Revelation 20, the fearful and the unbeliever and the abominable and the murderer and the whoremonger and the sorcerer and the idolatry will all have their part in the lake that burneth with fire that will rip the Bible out of your hand that will handcuff you that will put you out and wouldn't let you back in. That's where our nation is. That's where we are this morning. You say to me, what does that have to do with the woman of Sarah? Maybe not very much. Oh, what a disaster. Oh, what a shame. There's judgment on the land. And I haven't time this morning, but we can trace it back without a problem to the church. Lost her moral compass, no vision, no burden, no passion, no hunger, no prayer. We've got what we have bargained for. I grieve my soul to watch that in the great houses of Parliament on Wednesday. Now back to this wee widow. This cottage in Sarapta on the banks of the Mediterranean, for nearly a year they have been rejoicing, praising the Lord and the mighty miracles of the bread and the oil. Elijah was the star of the ball. Oh, he was a great fella. Everything was great and Elijah was great. Oh, the man of God has come amongst us. But she rises one morning and she calls out for the boy. I'm going to call him Isaac for a reason. You'll see it in a moment. I don't know what his name was. I don't know what age he was. I don't know do you, but she cradled him in his arms. 
He could have been four or five. He could have been three. He could have been two. He could have been six or seven. She rises one morning. She says, Isaac, get up. Time to get up. No reply. Your breakfast ready and your shirt's ironed and your sandals are left out for you. Get up. No reply. Rages, Isaac, no. She goes through the house and she goes up into the room and there she finds him. Shook him. No response. Panics and grabs him in her arms and cradles him into her breast. No breath. Gone. And like a flash, she turns on the light and she says, Get out, I don't want nothing more to do with you. I've brought my sin out into the open and you've slain my son. Another great fellow now. Another great fellow now. There are a number of lessons that I want to teach you in the time that I have this morning regarding this. Number one, don't ever let us in this sinful, mutable, transient, ever-changing world take for granted the blessings that God has given to us. The old adage says, don't look the gift horse in the mouth. Don't be so foolish to say like the psalmist, in my prosperity I shall never be moved. I can tell you, my friend, and we know it from experience, that joy can be turned into sorrow in a moment in any home. The ring of the phone, the knock at the door, the silence of the child, the shaking of the head of the paramedic or the screech of the ambulance siren. I say to you this morning and to myself this morning, appreciate your wife when you have her. Cherish your husband when you have them. Thank God and pray for your children when you have them. Thank God for the work that you have and the home that you have and the care that you have. Never take it for granted because they all could be taken from you like a flash. And thank God for the liberty that we have at the moment for we mightn't have it much longer. Things can change and circumstances can change. That's the first thing we need to learn. The second thing is this. Don't think because you're a believer and you're serving the Lord and you're giving out tracts and you're preaching and you're praying the three or four prayer meetings and you're doing all that you can and you're teaching Sunday school and you're doing everything that you don't think that you'll be excluded from trials. Think it not strange if some fiery trial comes. This lady had given her all. She'd given, her, she'd given the very bit out of her mouth and her son's mouth to the prophet. Make me first. And so she did. She'd just lost her husband a little while before this. 
And now this terrible calamity struck. I tell you, friend, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Man that is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. Remember Job, that solid saint of God. Remember Job, famine hit him. Family, flocks, all within an hour he lost a couple of hours. Job could say, thou huntest me as a fierce lion. And he could say, shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord and not evil? Whatever a woman did what she could, this woman did what she could. She's from a pagan background. God spoke into her ear one day and she she done all that she could. She gave the very bit out of her mouth. And then this happens. Do you blame her? How would you react it? How would you react it? Suddenly and brutally, suddenly and brutally, the child is taken from her. The very pride and joy, the darling of her bosom. I ask you this question, and I asked it myself as I spent many hours in this wee house during the week. Was this the last of her idols that had to go? Was this her Isaac? Well, she gave over the water. She gave over the meal. Give over the oil. She rendered up all that. Was this the last idol? Had this idol to go? Do we know anything about our Isaac being laid on the altar for God? Is this the final test and trial? In her life, in maybe her short Christian life, for she wasn't with Elijah and she wasn't doing what God told her to do. If there wasn't a transaction somewhere along the line, remind you there were thousands of widows, thousands of them in the land and thousands of them in Israel and God never sent them to one but her. Have you an idol this morning? that you're not prepared to let go for God? Have you all on the altar? Well, if you haven't all on the altar, don't be intending to be blessed and have God's blessed, best blessing for your life. Because he, he that loveth father or mother or brother or sister more than me cannot be my disciples. This is a severe work, you know. God wants the heart and he wants to complete it and no other heart either. Abraham would tell you about that when he offered up Isaac. I tell you there's a wrenching in our souls and in our hearts and God brings us in time and time again into situations in our life when he says, now I want you and not, I want you and you don't want me. 
It's all right on the fringes now. It's all right on the water. And it's all right on the wee bit of meal. But come to touch, touch the lad. Are you an idol this morning? Have you all on the altar every day? Do you get down before God and put name your children and put them on the altar? And then you sing, do us blessed will. No, you're not. There's a cost to discipleship. It's the cross. Slay my son. Well, there was a son slain, let me tell you. On the place called Calvary. The cost. I had a phone call from a man during the week who way down the heart of the south of Ireland. And he's in depression. He says, how would God let me? There's no God. How would God let me be like this? I can't get up out of bed. I said, get up out of bed and get your Bible and start reading it. I'm not saying anything against those that are depressed and awful things. God doesn't care. He wouldn't let me suffer. I said, sir, listen. God put his only son on the cross. Nailed him there and stripped him there and let men mock him and laugh at him for your sins and for my sins. Nobody talking to nonsense that he doesn't care. But nobody could care or love more. Nobody gave more than he gave. Was this or Isaac? Slim! Slim! Give me your heart. I tell you, it's a big business when you get down on your knees every morning and start to name your children and say, Lord, Lord, I'm putting them on the altar today, every one of them again today, every morning of the day. You do, you do what you want now. My life's yours now, and you use me whatever way you want. I have no other God beside thee, and I want to serve thee. I tell you, you're in big business. But I'll tell you, you're in big blessing too. An old boy said to me, I wouldn't do that. I could lose the best cow. <laughs> you could lose more than your best cow. I don't know what's going on here. I know that God's testing and trying this woman and squeezing her tight to see what's going to come out. Lesson number three. When the trial and the crisis and the affliction unexplainably comes, don't be too quick to level the blame. We always want somebody to blame. And vicious as you turned on Elijah, I want nothing to do with you. Thou man of God. And this has happened. Has she forgotten that only for him she'd have been dead long ago and her child? Has she forgotten that she would, she would have died a pagan idolater if he wouldn't have come? Has she forgotten that she was called out of thousands while others were passed by God? Selected her to see to serve and to keep and to protect the greatest of all the prophets, probably. 
the great Elijah. Remember this, he was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he was just a man. I, I need to come out on the side of pastors and ministers for a wee moment here. You know, we, we take at times we take hammerings and humiliations from God. I take it from God. And there's times we take it from the congregation, we take it from people, and we are deserving of it. But let me say to you this, this is one of the hardest works that any man could be involved in if he's doing it serious. The world, the flesh, and the devil, and then the people. And everything's going well when you're going well. Oh, you bury and you marry and you visit. All's going go great, fella. More pastors are great, man. But forget to pray for some of them some morning, or don't visit some of them, and they'll scandal you around the country. Oh, he never come near me when I was sick. You don't know what I was doing when, when you were sick. A fellow said to me one day, he says, you never visited me when I was sick. I says, I never knew you were sick. How could I visit you? And if you don't tell us you're sick, and if you don't tell us you're tired, how do you, don't be blaming us afterwards. All those times we deserve it, and I know, and we have to take it. But it's all right when the meal is, from the food is flowing and the oil of the spirit is flowing and, and the numbers are coming and all is well. Oh boy, it's a great place. They're great elders, these men, is a great spot. But oh, did you hear? Did you hear? Never came to see my mother, you know. Never came to me when my child was sick. You just stop it. And if you have anything to say, come and say it. And I'm not talking about anybody in the congregation. When I was in the college, I didn't learn very much. I'm glad I didn't. Some of the stuff that were taken, I'm glad I couldn't, didn't learn. But Oliver Oakley was an Englishman. He was an ex-RAF rare gunner or something in the war. And he was a sensible man. And he used to say to the students, I remember him saying to the students, now boys, when you go out, and I wasn't going out as a pastor, I was going out as an evangelist. He says, when you're going out to, out to pastor, remember the first year they'll eulogize you. The second year they'll criticize you. And the third year they'll ostracize you. An old preacher who went around a few corners said, in the fourth year they'll crucify you. <laughs> well, I have missed the cross yet. They haven't crucified me yet. Elijah never opened his mouth against this woman. He never argued. He never contended with her. Boy, what a brilliant testimony this is. You know why that was? He stood in the presence of God. He walked in the presence of God. And he slept in the presence of God. He was the man of God. 
And a man of God filled with the Holy Ghost will not react to something like this. That's just what the devil wants you to do. A soft answer turneth away wrath. And you know and I know how hard it is to keep our mouths closed when somebody accuses us wrongly, even rightly. We'll hook about till we get some excuse. And he never moves. Never moves. Man filled with the Holy Spirit will have the fruit of the Spirit that will be love, gentleness, long-suffering, meekness. He'll have, the tra- he'll have the trait of the Savior about him when he was reviled. He reviled not again. He opened not his mouth. <clears throat> There's many things he could have said to this woman this day. Number four. Now, this is a very important one. They're all important. The devil just happened to show them to us. Watch out for the devil in the trial and in the affliction. Now, some people may not agree with what I'm going to say now, but I don't think that past sins of idolatry and immorality, let it be because of the child or whatever way it come, I don't believe that's why God took her child. God's not a tyrant. I'm not fully into this business of generational curses. And I don't know very much about generational curses. But there's one thing I do know. And I have experienced it down through the years. That the devils are dirty foe. And as soon as he hit this child, as soon as she saw this child was dead, the devil came. That's the sin in the past now. Now it's coming out in the open. Mm-hmm. I don't think for one moment that's why God took her child. Not a moment. I've counseled too many people over the years, you know, who some child, children were born out of wedlock. Some mothers that had an abortion before they got saved and when the child got sick and the child was dying, the devil says, now that's for the child. Not a bit of it, I don't believe. So don't you this morning let the devil attack you on some past sins. Don't let him whisper into your ear that the cause of that child not being well or the cause of that child being disabled or the cause of that child being the way the child is is to do with your sin. The devil's a liar. I know enough, my friend, to know the Word of God tells me that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from all sin. That's the text I got through to, and I often thank God every day, almost, that I got saved through it, because nobody needs it more than I do. All sin. 
I never from the moment I got saved had one problem with past sins. And there were many. And you wouldn't know half of them. But I believe that the blood of Jesus cleanses and I believe if we confess and forsake our sin that he's not, going to, he's not going to hammer our children and he's not going to take our children and he's not going to disable our children because our sins that are under the blood and cast into the sea of his forgetfulness. You can believe it if you like. This is the devil here. You see, the devil is a dirty foe. Man, the wee chance he can get any wee chance he can get, he'll get at you. And paralyzed, and he paralyzed this woman with fear and criticism and all sorts of things. How did Elijah handle this? How did he handle this situation, this scenario, in this home on this day? Well, look at verse 19 as we come to a close. And he said unto her, Give me thy son. That's all he said. Didn't say anything else. She must be prepared to let him go. She has him cradled in the bosom because she handed him out of... She's weeping, she's crying. Why wouldn't she not be? But my friend, all the mother's tears and all the warmth of the mother's breast cannot bring this child back. Cannot bring life back into the child. And all the tears, mother, and all the prayers, mother. And all the love, mother. Can't bring them back. You see, they had to bury on the same day out here because of the of the conditions. But there's a famine on now. There's a drought on. They're coming near the end of it or well past the halfway mark of it and the temperatures could have been away up at 120 or 30. So there was no time to spare in the heat. There was no cooling systems. There wasn't much time left. There was no time for argument. There was no time for condemning. There was no time for putting himself right. There was no time to do anything. Give me thy son. Just hand him over. Hand him over. I tell you, listen, the time is very short that we have. This, this, this woman couldn't pray. How could you pray now? Would it be a very foolish man or pastor accountable to go near to you and say, see, we, we, we pray. What the point in this woman praying? And there's times you know that you can't pray for yourself or for your children. And you need to acknowledge that. And there's no point in you praying or trying to pray if you're criticizing and lambasting the preacher. 
There's no use in you trying to pray if you're blaming everybody around you for what is happening. You're only a hypocrite. How could this woman pray with a heart like this? You see, the circumstances have changed now because she's changing. And the best thing that you can do with your child and your son, if you're not in a position this morning and in a place where you can pray for them, that you'll be heard and hand them over. Tell us at the door on the way out. Give me, give, give us your sons and daughters. We'll take them in here and we'll pray for them. Give me thy son. Give me thy daughter. Give me thy child. Give them over to praying men and women if you can't pray for them. So Elijah takes the child out of her bosom. I think it was a very difficult thing for her to let him go. which is handing him over to the man of prayer, the man of God. When he prayed, fire fell. When he prayed, rain fell. When he prayed, men fell. When he prayed, he strangled the economy of the Jewish nation and more for three and a half years. He was a man in touch with God. Man in touch with God. Are you in touch with God this morning? So she t- he takes the child up into the loft. Watch the verses now, I'm almost finished. And he cried unto the Lord in verse 20 and said, Oh Lord, my God. Now he mentions the word Lord, is it five times? You know what sort of a prayer this was? It was a scriptural prayer. He's not saying, oh Jesus, oh Savior. He said, oh Lord. You see, he has to be your Lord. My Lord, he says. He has to be Lord of the life. If he's going to answer our prayers. I'm sick and tired of hearing preaching Jesus this and Jesus that and Jesus the other. Jesus is our Savior and thank God that we're saved. But you have to go past the saving place. You have to go into Lordship. Is he Lord of your life this morning? So I tell you, it was a scriptural prayer five times. It was a desperate prayer. He cried. And he kept crying, that means. Oh, where's the hyper-Calvinist boys now? Aye. Oh, wouldn't not a bit need to pray. If he's going to be raised from the dead, he'd be raised anyway. Well, Elijah would know more than you. Why would he cry desperately? And why would he cry scripturally? And why would he challenge God? He challenged God this evil. And you tell me that it doesn't matter whether you go to a meeting or whether you pray or whether you don't, he's going to be saved, he's going to be saved. Is that why you don't go to the prayer meeting? 
Is that why your children are not saved? Elijah would know more than you and he would know more than me and God would know more than all of us put together. He went into the room and he cried, Lord! Lord! He prayed scripturally, he prayed desperately, he prayed challengingly, he prayed, he, he, he prayed perseveringly three times. He spread himself out across the body of that wee boy. You see, he was the mighty prophet, the mighty man of God, yet he could come down to the size of the child. He could humble himself under the top of the wee child. And it's hard work, you know, women's souls. Stephen and Ewan's going to preach down in Kilrain now and a couple of times a week or so, I don't know how long ago. But let me tell you, it's not an easy job winning souls. No. He lay across the child and he cried. It says twice he cried, and that's a desperate cry. He cried unto God. And then he got up and he walked about. And then he came back and he got down at it again. And then he came back and he went again three times. Souls are going to be one. If your children are going to be saved, we'll have to persevere. And then it was an answered prayer. Look at verse 22. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came unto him again. And he brought him down to the mother. What a sight or scene. You know, there's a lot of scenes in the Bible I'd love to be there. I'd love to be there for this. It was prayer that brought life to the son. It was prayer that brought assurance to the mother who he was. It was prayer that brought joy to the home. It was prayer that brought meal to the barrel. It was prayer that brought oil to the cruise. It was prayer that brought ravens to the brook. It was prayer that brought protection to the prophet. It was prayer that brought, brought the, the slaying of the false prophets later on. It was prayer that brought the revival from Carmel. It was prayer that opened the windows of heaven and poured out the Spirit. It was prayer that brought the mighty revival that swept through the land. And it's going to be prayer that will bring the Irish revival. going to be prayer. The whole thing's tied up in prayer. What a mighty moment this must have been. Are you with me now? Circumstances can change. Jesus used to say, God's not one bit interested in your happiness. You see, we're happy when all we have the job and children are well and everything's going well. We're so happy. He's not a bit interested in our happiness. He's interested in our holiness. And if we're really living and all on the altar to God, it'll not matter what comes. 
You, you tell me it'll not matter if I find my child dead tonight. God forbid. But if we're walking in the will of God, and in the presence of God, we know the peace of God that passes all understanding. May God help us to imbibe from these three messages the brook, the barrel, the birds, and the boy. Amen.